The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city in South Cambridgeshire. Thank you to Ian as ever, but now it's time for your fortnightly film treat. Autumn is knocking on the door and we're ensuring that we cover all content before the writers and actors strike grinds everything to a halt. Now, today is National Cinema Day, so once you've finished listening to our expert opinions, why don't you take yourself off to your local multiplex or independent cinema and for only £3... I know it's a bargain. Pick a movie to enjoy on a big screen. We are, drumroll please, about to give you nine options, which I know, we know is punchy, but we reckon we're going to do it. So there's going to be absolutely no need to see Barbie or Oppenheimer again. There's going to be new stuff to watch. I'm Emma Marchant in the host chair, and here to chat on this Saturday are the team of spectacular reviewers, Luke Irwin. Good afternoon. Will Johnson. Hello. Lorcan O'Neill. Hello. And Matthew Taylor. So, we are going to be looking at new releases from yesterday, The Sound of Freedom and The Horror Cobweb. We're also going to take in fabulous British debut, Scrapper, and claustrophobic underwater thriller, The Dive. We also have the IMAX anime basketball mashup that you never knew you needed, First Slam Dunk. And in terms of streaming, we're going to be looking at Sandler Family Affair, you are so not invited to my bar mitzvah, and interactive Choose Your Own Hunky Boyfriend rom-com, Choose Love. And at the last minute due to intense lobbying we'll also be looking at Denzel's Denzel's final turnout in Equalizer 3 but before any of this let's head to upstate New York and join Amos and Rebecca Diane at Theatre Camp Listen up squad gang maybe uh zip it can we just get you guys to shoot oh what a beautiful night oh that's dope Welcome, auditioners. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. Starfish, starfish, jiggle like a jackal, jiggle like a jackal. These are the things we can do with masks. These people are really weird. So, based on their short film from 2020, real, li- real life ex theatre brat best friends and, well, yeah, childhood best friends, Ben Platt and Molly Gordon, along with Platt's real life partner, Noah Galvin, bring their faux documentary Theatre Camp to the screen. Will. Yeah. We were all really excited about this. I must admit, it was one of our highlights of this week. Did <laughs> it, was it as good as you were hoping for? Um, well, this film actually took me by surprise because I thought it'd just be an annoying musical, but it ended up being funny, a funny and touching indie movie. Um, I thought Ben Platt was would be the sole, perp- well, basically the sole um, beneficiary of this film, but everybody got their own good screen time on this. Fabulous, Lorcan. I kind of thought about Christopher Guest's Waiting for Guffman or The Mighty mm. Wind a little bit. Did you feel that it hit the dizzy heights of these absolute kind of noughties classics or was it like a softer version? Um, not, not quite. I did, I, did ve- I did very much enjoy it, but it's, um, it's got an almost satirical plot where it's been kind of self-prodigal of the theatre camp. The theatre camp has to outperform and raise money to save the camp and keep blah, 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 blah. Stuff that Wet Hot American Summer was making fun of like 20-odd years ago. Um, uh, it's a very, very safe uh, comedy. It's not looking to push any envelopes. It's it's meant to make you feel uh, just very comfortable and just have like a nice time in this innocent little theater camp. Uh, so it doesn't have any kind of biting edge like Christopher Guest films or anything like that. It's it's just like a feel good romp, I would say. 
I, I mean, yeah, we saw it together. It certainly did make me laugh a lot. Luke, would you agree in that we've just said, you know, this did, like I say, Molly Gordon and Ben Platt are best friends. Noah Galvin is now engaged to Ben Platt. Did that chemistry, did that real life chemistry kind of spill over into a warm feeling or did it almost make it too safe? No, I didn't. I think films like this are always carried by the performers. It has a real improv feel to it, which you tend to get with these um, mockumentary-style things. It feels realistic and it feels natural. Um, and I think Molly Gordon, who's popped up in minor supporting roles um, for several years now, I think people might know her best from Booksmart a couple of years ago. To see her take the take the lead in a film like this as much as one can take the lead i think was absolutely delightful um ben platt sort of freed from the shackles of dear evan hansen that he's been doing for about <laughs> 10 years but finally when he did the film last year it's like he could finally retire and do other things um i think there's a wonderful supporting cast and i f- think it feels authentic and it feels like people hanging out and that's probably the most you can expect from a film like this. I must admit, I, I my, my heart rose as I saw Amy Sedaris because you know the, mm. the, the, it, the essentially the, the theme of this is Amy Sedaris runs the theatre couch. She then has a has a, a seizure induced by the flashing lights in one of the children's production. So it, it's down to her son, who actually is played by Jimmy Tatro. Now, Matt, I'll come to you on this. We talked about the people who created it, but Jimmy Tatro obviously did not create it. As far as I know, Jim, Jimmy Tatro himself, who in this is playing a terrible kind of faux entrepreneur YouTube type, but with a lot of art, is kind of that in real life. He is. I think a YouTube influencer and Instagram type. Um, did you enjoy him? I, I loved him. I mean, I, I first became aware of Jimmy Tatro in the American Vandal document mockumentary on Netflix. Shh, don't don't say my 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 son still believes that's true. Oh well, I mean it is true. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. But he, he seems to just be sort of yeah channeling his very authentic persona. But he, he seems like a really funny guy, and I certainly responded to his performance. What I really liked about this was the the tone of it. Because, as you've said, it's written by a lot of the people who are starring in it. And you can tell that there's a lot of affection that they have for their own experiences growing up in this kind of environment. I mean, when when my wife and I are, are taking the mickey out of each other, we'll sometimes say, it's full of love, just to remind us that it's <laughs> yeah, full of love. This is an affectionate love letter to some good times, some slightly strange times, but yeah. Yeah. A very pleasant time. I agree. It was a really people. pleasant, I think as well, it was a really pleasant surprise. I will just briefly say that Molly Gordon has recently popped up in season two of The Bear and has a really pivotal role in it, which uses her warmth and charm greatly. And talking of The Bear, Adoe Dabiri also pops up as Janet Walsh, who lies on her resume. And that, she, I, 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 I really laughed at a couple of her scenes. She was <laughs> Pops classic. up as the, as the operative word, because yeah, the, it's a very loose film. <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that though but I think in general we're all saying that Theatre Camp will be well worth your £3 on National on national Cinema Day today and it's very warm and I'm thoroughly with Luke as well I was so disappointed when Ben Platt had to play Evan Hansen <laughs> when he was clearly 10 years too old for the film role and so to see him in a role that actually suits him and it, it was just a joy because he, he seems like a joy uh, that is Theatre Camp it's a certificate 12A and I think it's showing at all three Cambridge cinemas it certainly is right moving on swiftly no of today to an underwater nightmare. I still get a bit nervous every time. Nervous is good. Excitement's a good thing. What's wrong? Do you hear this? Ah! Hey! I'm stuck! Oh my god! We gotta lift the rock! Ah! This is not working! 
you had to go to the for the dive. Oh. Last year, Fall was a surprising favourite on this show, which is the story of two best friends and climbers whose attempt to scale a radio tower went horribly wrong. So this year brings us the dive, where two sisters take a dive at a remote location and something again goes horribly wrong, which turns into a race against time to see if we can save one of these divers. Lorcan, um... This is from German director Maximilian Ehrenwein, who I've not heard of before, and is in itself a remake of a 2020 Norwegian <laughs> film, which seems terribly recent, <laughs> Breaking Surface. I've, uh, the, 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 act, the actors in it, the two, the two female actors in it, are American and British, but did you feel it had a European sensibility about it? Um, not especially. I didn't get much of an anything sensibility out of it. It's... Um it's this is the genre that I, d- I don't hear people talk about a lot of two estranged twenty somethings stuck somewhere and they have to work through the personal issues and or um, the greater nature. Um, but I mean, this is it's very much uh, forty seven meters down, but shallower and without sharks. Um, <laughs> then it's the the central concept is people stuck underwater, but in reality, the film is just someone going back up and down and on little fetch quests to get like oh you, I need to get I, my immediate problem is to get oxygen 20 it, minutes getting oxygen it felt like a computer game that, that way yes. right a little yeah, bit yeah, like yeah, exactly. you know and we've given I, I agree because I did think that Fall at least had some interesting twists in it this is really very straightforward so is it really just one for kind of scuba swats who just want to see how you know how how fast you can ascend without actually getting killer bends just really sick bends <laughs> That's it. i don't know i don't know how accurate the science in this was but uh sure i i, I if it's for anyone it's for them i suppose and it's be- and it's nicely shot right i mean the it looks fine are, are fine fair it, it's believable underwater footage yeah yeah, and the and the performances are. I, I I just felt they were underwritten. I felt bad for the actresses because I think they do because it must be quite hard to to, to you oh, know, sure. commit to this performance while you're under under you know underwater in a mask doing all this. And I think they do a fine job, but I do think that they're very that, that their history seems underwritten. There seems no you've got no idea. I, yeah, because it, it kind of hints that there's a really dark history with their father, and I was waiting for a a, speci- a very specific twist, and then it turns out the father was just. A bit of a bit too much of a, a dad. Bit of a <laughs> <laughs> He's the dad that pulls out the loose tooth. Okay, well, if you're missing maybe any, you know, if you've been missing scuba diving this summer, or if you fancy a claustrophobic underwater thriller, which is a, a pretty, it's a very tight running time. In fact, a lot of what we're doing this week is a tight running time, which I'm very fond of. Um, then, for, then the dive is showing at both the view and the light, and it's a certificate twelve A. Um, right, it's basketball and it's anime. It's slam dunk. <laughs> Go. Go. We can do this. One, two, three, win! Matt, short of grabbing your pom-poms and taking part in a Paula Abdul choreoed number, you couldn't have made your desire to cover this more on this show, and that is, after all, what we're here for. It is a team basketball drama, as I understand, told in 90s anime, and has had rave reviews. Can you please tell us some more? What you've got to think about when you look at what's available at the cinema is, why is this being shown? And the fact that a basketball anime film has made its way to a Cambridge cinema should tell you that it's really good. Forget Oppenheimer, forget Mission Impossible, forget everything that you've seen in IMAX this year. This is the number one IMAX film of the year. It is an incredible feast for the senses all the way through. 
uh, a sports movie that doesn't follow a traditional structure because the whole movie is essentially one basketball game. And you might think, well, a basketball game is only 40 minutes. How can 40 minutes fill two hours? And the answer is lots of slow-mo and lots of flashbacks about uh, the main character's dead brother. But um, it's... I've never actually been in an IMAX screening where you've been able to hear the audience audibly gasp in the moments of silence in between the huge bursts of sound and action. But that's what you get from this, because over the course of this basketball game, you sort of learn who these players are and what it means to them through the way they play the game. I think basketball is possibly the most cinematic sport because it's a battle between two teams but it's also a series of individual battles and through that you get to learn more about the characters via these incredibly well choreographed action scenes which are better than anything else I've seen this year it, it's just fantastic you've it, got to see it it's directed and written by Takahiko Inoue I'm gonna that's my that's my pronunciation I'm sticking to it based on <laughs> his own manga has have you seen any of his other work has he is this a day is this a debut well I, I'm I was debut? coming in completely blind I mean my only other experience with uh, anime basketball is Kuroko's basketball on Netflix which is much more fantastical with players sort of doing almost superhuman things this is much more grounded the sort of the basketball that you'll see does look like the kind of things you might see in in an NBA game but I I didn't know anything about it going in I, I don't know whether it's a prequel I assume it's a prequel because it seems to be the main character's time in high school before he went off to do whatever he does next but uh, yeah, you get plenty of time with each character to understand who they are. I didn't necessarily manage to learn their names by the end of it, but they at least have fairly distinctive hairstyles to allow you to keep track of them. Well, it is. I've just double-checked. It is his directorial debut, but of course this is one of the best-selling manga series of all time, if you like. So obviously this comes, this comes you know, from a, from a sort of high playing field already, and you're saying that they've done the best job they could do with it. So I think if you're a fan of manga or sports movies... Oh yeah, basketball I mean, then it covers all of these. I'm so sad that the, the sports movie seems to be a dying genre, but this this really had everything that you want from a sports movie. And if there was any criticism I could make, it did that, you cry? Did you punch the air at the <laughs> I end? Think, yeah, I, I think at, at the final play, just like moments, the moment of silence that just goes on for an agonizing length of time only to be broken by the sound of a, a bro high five that was quite a, a, an emotional moment the, the only small criticism i would have is that by the end i was so engrossed in the basketball game when there was only sort of two minutes to go that when they broke for another flashback about being sad about the dead brother i just thought oh just let's just fast forward this give get back me to the, the result game. give me the result but it yeah, I mean, it's absolutely like nothing I've seen at the cinema for a long, long time. Well, and again, race out here and you can get to watch it on IMAX for only £3. A double whammy. Right, first, Sam Dunk is a certificate 12A, comes with yet another rave review from our very own Matthew Taylor and is showing at the light and the view. So, we're going to move away from cinemas <clears throat> and on to streaming. And I mean, who hasn't wanted to pick their own cookie-cutter hunk at the end of a rom-com? Will it be the wild rebel? Will it be the one who got away? Or will it be all reliable? So luckily, Netflix has got our back. Is it just me or did that sound ominous? You are about to be pulled in all different directions. Oh my God. Jack? Who's Jack? One that got away. Carrie? I have a 10 o'clock in here today. It's been moved to Studio B. Rex Gallier? As in Rex Gallier. That's way overdone. But I can't say that, right? 
big sound. What can I say? I'm a fool for love. Landing this Thursday on Netflix, this is the fizzy, and I'm using their words rather than the fizzy rom-com <laughs> where you, the viewer, get to make the decisions to see which suitor Laura Marama, Rom- Romano's Cami will end up with. Um, Luke, where to start? You are our self-appointed rom-com guru. <laughs> and so in a week where, I don't know if anyone else has seen this, but the trailer for rom-com queen Meg Ryan's return to the rom-com screen, her and David Duchovny, she's, it, it has, has happened. Does this offer us anything outside of the choose-your-own gimmick? Yeah, this is a remarkably difficult film to review, (laughs) being a choose-your-own-adventure story, because everyone's going to get a slightly different experience, and it's very hard to talk about things like structure and pacing when they're so variable, Um, and even plots. Um, I think what's most notable about this film is... um, I had quite an unsatisfying experience with this in as much as they they say with rom-coms if everyone acted maturely and reasonably the film would be half as long um, and that's what happened to me unfortunately I, I sort of approached this film <laughs> from a very pragmatic point of view um, and I, I was done with it in under an hour and left um, left feeling somewhat disappointed by myself and my, my lack of romantic credentials given my uh, <laughs> supposed rom-com expertise. What about your comedic credentials? Do you think you brought some comedy to it maybe with your choices? Um, Sadly no. <laughs> I'd say it was it was more light entertainment than comedy. I think this is an intre- is interesting in as much as that it's surprisingly chaste as a film. It's very teenage girl fantasy um, and it's not it's not a film for young children, but it's sort of a film to embrace your your naivety. Um, and I found that quite pleasant and quite refreshing without ever really, you know, without indulging any great laughs or emotional highs nor lows. Matt, did you see Bandersnatch, which is the only other one? In fact, no, we, I, I don't know why I'm asking you because I quickly know that because we talked about this before on air. And you also bought one in, what was it, Hunting for the... No. It's, got, it's called uh, Escape the Undertaker. So these are both Netflix ones as well, and these are both are, also yeah. choose your own. How did this then compare to those interactive experiences? Well, I, I would say that this isn't a movie. This this is a video game. I mean, there's there's plenty of these available, not on Netflix, but on, on um, PlayStation. I know I've played a few things like this. In that sense, comparing it to the other Netflix ones, I would say it's nowhere near the high bar of Bandersnatch, but it is above, certainly Escape the Undertaker. It's also above the Bear Grylls one, where I think it's either you make the right choice or you die each time. Uh, <laughs> but that's like the old Choose Your Own Adventure books, which I'm old yeah. enough to remember, where literally you would make the wrong choice and that would be it. Your, 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 story, your time would be over after eight pages. <laughs> I think my issue with this was that you don't see... The stuff that you don't see. I mean, when I was playing through, I was taking a similar pragmatic approach to Luke. I was like, ah, she has a long-term boyfriend who seems like a perfectly good guy, takes her out on dates to escape rooms, which sounds great. Uh, yeah, probably just marry him, get rid of the other two. Uh, job done. <laughs> I, d- I don't know how much actual meaningful choice there is in this. My uh, experience with it seemed to be that there was about half an hour of irrelevant sort of character building and then you get a dream sequence where you make one of your three choices and then that sort of locks you into an ending it's not funny the banter is kind of charming but it's certainly not a comedic gem 
I can safely tell you that I continued with my slightly less pragmatic choices because I was like, what the heck? Let's give Cammy a ride on a private jet. Let's let's hook her up with this revolting guitarist with the frosted tips and the bad flares. But nonetheless, still ended up with Old Reliable, even though I made all these choices. So I don't quite understand how that worked. Lorcan, it gives you the option to rewind should you wish to spend yeah. more of your life watching this did you uh, did you undo any of your choices did you panic that you made the wrong one I did well I was surprised with how many choices I honestly going into this I thought it was going to be you watch the movie and at the end you make your decision but every five minutes or so there's a choice I haven't seen Bandersnatch but I'm told it's, there's a bit more choice in there um, but I was I was pleasantly surprised there were certain points where I did kind of go on my phone for a bit and I heard the bling like the film had made a choice for me and I had to go back um, but no uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed this I was not expecting to be engaged to this if you like like Luke says if you want it can be a 50 minute film or if you want you can explore all the different options um, and I you said you watched it with your partner did you did you or did you watch it separately and did separately you both, I went oh, we compared and then you did and then you did dis- discuss yeah. options that's what we he played he played safe I went straight for the rock star <laughs> um, but I, I, I quite like uh, Evan Yard he was one of the only good things in the Resident Evil uh, return Welcome to Raccoon City he played Leon Kennedy in that um, he's doing I found him quite charismatic and charming in this I thought he did was he, he Frosted Tips he was mm. Frosted Tips his comedy his comedic timing was good and he was doing a decent Russell Brand light uh, esque impersonation um, but I I said I, I was pleased with how many choices you have I I like because with rom-coms I find a lot of the time you either hate the character because they're being making horribly narcissistic awful decisions but here you can choose whether to be the horrible narcissist or just be a nice person or be kind of lame but also be honest about it uh, I don't know I was I was pleasantly surprised with the breadth of choices we well none make. of us even discussed the third choice which was of course her ex-boyfriend that she lost as a child who's now out I don't know like you know fighting like saving turtles in Guatemala or something but anyway I'm with you Luke it wasn't very, it could have been funnier. I think rom-com, I think it's just really a choose-your-own-romance. Although, having said that, I did think Laura Morano as well, playing Cammy, our central heroine, I thought she did a good job because she's, you know, it is, she must have had to film a fair amount of reaction scenes and all the rest. She was, you know, she was in it a lot, and I thought that she did carry it in a pretty charming manner. Orbit. She brought a lot of a lot of really good energy. I thought, as yeah. with the sort of flea fizzy, bag, fizzy energy, fizzy energy with with the flea bag sort of nods to camera. Yeah. But the one thing I thought maybe was missing from this was it would have been nice to have a sort of uh, at the end a wrap up screen where you could see like what percentage of people ended up with which of the three guys, and then you could sort of see how you line up with maybe the rest of the population. Maybe it's got a view for a bit longer, and then they'll do that. That is a good mm. idea. Um, and also, we know for a fact that you could end up in Paris. You could have, there are certain places some of us ended up that no one even made it to. So. I didn't go anywhere. I do think it is. It, there, there are. Yeah, I, I do think. Well done to a certain extent, Netflix. It's a fun premise, and where it's not going to hit sort of the dizzy heights of rom-com classics, it was. It was fun to play and I, fun to watch. If they're looking to keep those subscription numbers up, I think this is this is something you can do to that. You have to have a subscription. Like you can't like illegally get this online. You have you have to have the service to play it. So I think it's a really smart move if they kind of lead into this a bit more. Excellent. Well, choose love is certificate twelve A and is streaming on Netflix. On to, as promised at the beginning, a sparkling British debut. What stage of grief are you at now? I think I'm almost finished. Yeah, I feel sorry for her. She'll make it through. Lovely, though, that she's living with her uncle. Could you do me one favour? Georgie's doing great at school, thanks. Emotionally coping. We are eating spaghetti bolognese today. Well, I for one feel reassured. Hey, Georgie. Who's asking? I'm Jason. I'm your dad. 
So, on to Scrapper, the 82-minute debut feature from 29-year-old Charlotte Regan. British writer-director introduces us to the fantastic Lola Campbell as 12-year-old Georgie, who is living alone in London after the death of her mother and trying to avoid the eye of the social services. However, when her estranged father, played by Triangle of Sadnesses, Harris Dickinson, arrives, her dreamlike haven is, is disturbed. Lorcan, this is a combination of many things, I felt. It has that kind of vibe of films like Rocks with teens trying to mm. hustle and stay, you know, and, and, and show their independence and, and, and stay away from, you know, yeah, the, the, the bad guys at the top. But it also has magical realism touches, which mm. I really loved, and, and, these, and these strange straight-to-camera bits as well from the people in her life, and all in this incredible, um, incredibly tight running time. I mean, I just was blown away by, by this as a debut. What did you think? Um, I it reminded me of, uh, uh, had similar feelings towards Emma that came out a few years ago with uh, Anya Taylor Joy, where it's it's this kind of bringing this very youthful energy to a very familiar story. Like if you, if you see the trailer, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's it's Paper Moon. It's getting even with that. It's all that kind of stuff. But what the what Charlotte Reagan brings to it is this um, creative kinetic uh, editing, um, lots of kind of vox pop stuff, um, a fantastic use of color, like. You you just don't see this type of use of color in a British debut set, and it's it's set in like a council estate as well. So to to bring out those colors is uh, really lovely to see, and it's unusual to see. I, and there are fantastic that like at one point as well, you see an urban fox kind of coming through the garden, and and it even makes and I hate pigeons, but it even gives this <laughs> kind of sense of kinetic energy and beauty to the pigeons around. And like yeah. you said, the colors of the house. Sorry, I completely interrupted, but I, no, I love no. this. And uh, Harris Dickinson, uh, he's easy on the, he's easy on the eyes. He's very charismatic. <laughs> he um, I. I did catch a Q&A with uh, Charlotte Reagan on this film and she said she worked a lot with the young actress Lola, Lola Campbell. She was the first choice um, when she, as soon as she saw her. Um, and apparently Lola Campbell kind of helped inform the character and it was very much a creative process as they were making the film. So it's kind of a good sport on Harris Dickinson who's a bit more of an established name to kind of uh, carry on with that kind of more amateurish uh, creative experience than he's probably used to nowadays, I imagine. Well, I imagine, yeah, I imagine Triangle of Sadness really brought him into a different level, right? Yeah. But I, of course, being me, then went into a deep dive down his Instagram. And on top of everything else, Harris Dixon is a really talented photographer and seems generally like an incredibly charming and good person who is there to support all this work he's doing on smaller budget stuff. Mm -hmm. He is also the most perfect casting, casting for this kind of gangly man-child, but with a sort of a heart of gold. So even when he's being mean you'll never I mean maybe that that's a slight criticism you could say that you're never really feeling that there's any proper no. threat perhaps but in 82 minutes I don't it's a bit like theatre camp though we were talking about that maybe we don't need to go to the cinema and feel threat and feel <laughs> sometimes it's enough just to see performances that are working working so well together also the um the actress that plays the mother that you kind of see in this really effective flashback because mm. it's it you know she the, Georgie takes herself off to this alleyway just to re-watch the videos that she has on her phone with, with her mother's mug and then when you actually see the flat it, it, it's just so well done I did I did tear up and I just thought it was, but I laughed. I laughed out loud, and there were small kids seeing in this in the showing I was with as well, and they really appreciated it too. And I just think it's a really exciting piece of work as a family film to watch. Yeah, no, it's 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 some it's something for everyone. It's it's something unique. Uh, well, visu visually unique. Yeah. Uh, um, and like I say, I, I agree that the the ambiguity about Harris Dickinson's character isn't you know, is he is he a, is he a villain? It's just what are his intentions? Is he just you you're constantly worrying why he's back and you don't really know why and then as the film goes on you you, you find out more and it is 
well, I, I won't get into that, but um, it's it's a very soft touch of a film. It's uh, very satisfying, and yeah, like you yeah. said, it's something for everyone, and it's uh, good to get out there and support like young British talent. For sure, I don't think Britain does an especially good job of nurturing British film talent at the moment. I agree, and 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 also, and you know, and also nurturing British female talent. So, and I would say Lola Campbell as Georgie Spectacular. Also, this introduces Alan Usen as her friend Ali, who is also an absolute an absolute joy. It is a yeah. joy from start to finish. It's eighty two minutes long. It'll be three pounds. To Day. please 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 if you see anything i would say go see scrapper it's a certificate 12a and it's showing at the picture house cambridge 105 radio on sunday afternoons relax with jazz today and pete butchers join me for music at the cutting edge mainly new releases many on small independent labels the stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere i'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around cambridge as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians jazz today at 4 p.m every sunday afternoon on cambridge 105 radio go on challenge yourself It's forecast to be another hot summer. Watering the lawn, cleaning the car, filling up paddling pools. It all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources. But did you know a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour? That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridgeshire's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, binding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. Gather your colleagues, hit the water and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk. The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival, organised by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. You are listening to the Cambridge Film Show here on Cambridge 105 Radio and our lovely reviewers, Luke, Lorcan, Will and Matt, are about halfway through this week's offerings and we still have four more to go. Remember, all our primetime music shows are available on Catch Up in One Handy Place, the Cambridge 105 Radio website, which is also where you'll find all of our back shows, should you have missed any of our reviews. So just go to cambridge105.co.uk and search for downloads. Right, moving into the second half, Denzel Washington is back for the third and I believe last time as Robert McCall in Antoine Fuqua's Equaliser 3. Nine seconds. That's what I'll give you to decide your fate. Ciao Roberto. Roberto, tell me, what did you do back home? 
government work. I'm retired now. Because of these people, I'm beginning to understand real peace. Oh. They see you as one of us now. Apologies, I'm pretty sure I should have said Antoine Fuqua's uh, Equalizer 3, but then again, I don't watch any of these. I did watch Training Day. Will, I haven't, I just admit it, I haven't seen a single Equalizer. Mm. Uh, are you a huge fan? Can you give us a little pricey as to what this is all about? I am a huge fan, and I feel this film was a fitting conclusion to the Denzel Washington franchise, because um, after near-death experience, he just wants a quiet life. But obviously... The powers that be do not actually allow that, and he must save um, a town in Naples from drugs, corruption, and just general villainy. <laughs> um, once again, he's re reunited with Dakota Fanning, who he was in Man on Fire with many, many years ago. So she's now all grown up, different character, obviously. Um, and it's filmed in beautiful locations such as the Amalfi Coast, Rome, and Naples. And it's has few side stories, obviously, of the Dakota Fanning's side of the story, as well as um, Denzel Washington, Robert McCall's character. And it just comes comes well together. And as I said, fitting conclusion. And it should hopefully <laughs> end there. But on a side note, Antoine Fuqua is actually considering doing a uh, producing and directing a prequel with Denzel's son, John David Washington. Oh. Oh. He's, no, he's, he's considering it. Um, obviously, you know John David Washington yes, from what Denzel Tenet, without Christmas, Black Klansman, sorry. <laughs> sorry, John David, <laughs> and the creator, which we're going to see hopefully this month. Uh, Matt, would you agree? Is it one of these cases though where they filmed an action film in such glorious locations? They always had a wonderful time and a glorious holiday doing it, but the, the watching experience isn't quite so much fun. I actually enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. I mean, I, I walked out of The Equalizer 1 because I was really bored. I didn't bother seeing The Equalizer 2. I only saw this because it was the only thing on before Sound of Freedom, which was the thing I was most needing to go and see that day. But it did win me over. It, it felt like kind of just a, a cosy vibes movie for a lot of it because Denzel Washington spends most of his time in this movie just chilling out <laughs> in this lovely sort of coastal village and just my favourite moment... He was, is ageing. Maybe yeah, he needs some time mm. out. He seems like he's having a lovely time. Nice place to retire. My favourite moment was when he just goes to a cafe and he orders a tea and the waitress brings back a coffee and says, tea's for old ladies and Englishmen. <laughs> you know, you don't, you can't have tea here. I felt that the the violence when it comes is is quite visceral and rapid and very efficient, and that was perhaps my biggest problem with it is that even though Denzel's getting on, I never really thought there was any sense of threat. I mean, it was just a bunch of sort of drug smugglers, like they were never going to get anywhere close to the equalizer. And <laughs> there's a bit where they sort of confront him in the square. And then he just says, I'm just going to kill you all. And they're like, oh, okay. And then he just goes and does, and then it ends. I'm yeah. so sorry. Can I ask a question? Is this sequelized that used to star Edward Woodward? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've, do you know what? I was today 50 years old before I cottoned <laughs> on that this is a remake of the Edward Woodward. He goes, well, there you go. Maybe I will rush to go and see it. So I'm guessing from you two then that we would say recommend it to fans of Denzel Washington, fans of Fuqua's work, fans of previous equalizers, but let's not necessarily waste your £3 cinema day on the Equalizer 3. I think there's better things you can see, but it's not terrible. Will's disagreeing. I'd say watch it. Obviously, if you've seen the first two, watch it, as I said, fitting conclusion. Um, and, and then await the prequel. Yeah, and if you get, and if you get bored, there's actually an equal, Equalizer TV series <laughs> with... 
Who, who stars in it again? Queen Latifah. Yes. <laughs> not Edward Woodward. No, so no, not Edward Woodward. So they, they, many they options. Fema- they femalised it, which is oh, good. I'm showing my age, I think, with Edward Woodward. Right, um, <laughs> The Equaliser 3 is a certificate 15 and is showing at the light and the view. It may only be the very beginning of September, but we do have our first entry for this year's Halloween-style offerings. It's okay. It was just a bad dream. again. No more nightmares tonight. Okay, champ? <gasps> Daddy! This is getting ridiculous. This is an old house. There's bound to be bumps in the night. Right, young Peter is not having the best preteen years. He is bullied at school and finding no solace at home in his frankly ramshackle and very creepy house with his also frankly sinister parents who seem slightly insane. So is it any surprise that he starts communing with imaginary friends in his bedroom walls? Um, I'll come to you, Luke. This is, a again, a very tight running time, 88 minutes, I think, a, a, a sort of horror that's kind of crept up without much fanfare. The big names in it are probably Anthony Starr, Homelander from The Boys, and Lizzie Kaplan as the parents. Did you find it... Sc- I mean, it's a horror. Did you find it scary? I think being scary is probably the best thing you can say about this film. I mean, thank goodness it's 80 minutes because the first 40 minutes of this is like a best of of various horror tropes that you've seen. You've got the kid who's bullied at school and then he accidentally he gets into some mischief and he gets expelled you've got like a creepy pumpkin patch with rotting pumpkins you've got the kooky parents who are you know a little bit um um something weird going on there the sort of you're you're left thinking oh what's happening here and then you've got sort of the the nosy interloper who's the the substitute teacher who's sort of butting in where perhaps she shouldn't be um and the director Samuel Bowden, I think it's his first English language horror. I think he does a he does a fine job with many of the, with the directing job of this. I think you get great atmosphere, wonderful sound design. There's some really effective pieces of camera work. There's one in particular that's reminiscent of The Shining in places. Um, the script lets this down. Um, but I would say the performances, I think, um, so Lizzie Kaplan, who's been knocking around for a very long time without really getting many major roles. Um, I think she just started as a child actor, so I think she's been around for about 20, 30 years. She's really rather creepy in this film. And then Anthony Starr, who people will know from The Boys, if that's their sort of thing. It's not my <laughs> sort of thing. But I'm, I'm led to believe that he, he brings a slightly... Um, restrained terror in this performance which I believe is his his modus operandi uh, his homelander yes um, so you know so perfectly serviceable obviously not terrible um, and then in the in the end it sort of it gets a bit hysterical in the final act which happens in every single horror film and sort of where it ends you're like that's you know thank goodness that's ended <laughs> 
think I enjoyed it slightly more than that. Lorcan, what about you? Did you think this was a a sort of, like I say, was it a creepy little horror that was creepy enough? I, I do agree with Luke. There are, it is, but I think it's deliberate, the throwback to all these tropes that, that you see at the beginning. It's almost like a kind of cliche of itself. But Yeah, I mean, you have to pass certain types of criteria to even get a film greenlit. So if they, if they, if producers hear things they like and they've heard before, they're more likely to say yes. But luckily, like Luke's hinted at, it does get past that uh, and then the film takes a very sharp turn in a very fantastic way and it turns very much into a different type of film, albeit somewhat confusing. I I may have to give it another rewatch just to figure out exactly what the backstory is. Um, but I've just I've just discovered that it's a um it's a secret Gary Busey family project, I suppose, because I, I saw Luke Busey on the, in the opening title cards and I've just seen that uh, the kid that that character's mum is played by Gary Busey's wife. <laughs> so, the, unfortunately, the film is missing Gary himself, which is absolute tragedy. But Lizzie Kaplan and Anthony Starr do an absolutely fantastic job. They are wonderfully creepy, and they're very good at being creepy while still being relatable, so you don't, you never really tip the hat as to what's going on. When you find out what's going on, it's wild. Well, yeah, it's it becomes kind of American Gothic meets Barbarian or something at the end. Yeah. It is, it, it, yeah, I, I'd say it's worth it. I think it's quite imaginative, and I would say it is worth it purely like you say for this kind of wild turn it takes and you would have to, and I really enjoyed as well when they, they, these nasty kids come to his door and they're all in these like five nights at Freddy's masks which I thought added and, and actually that the, the scene that happened I mean you know what's going to happen but how it happens it's done in a satisfyingly gory and um, yeah. scary manner they set up that home invasion yeah. before certain other events happen so there's a, you're, you're waiting for the home invasion moment and it, it, it very much gets turned on its head which is uh, in, incredibly entertaining to watch yeah uh, I would say yeah it's it's September 1st it's the perfect time to get started in horror films and this is the perfect horror film to start your Halloween season exactly if you're not binge watching the Gilmore Girls already in honour of fall I'm talking to you Ashley then you can certainly get cracking on this <laughs> Cobweb is a 15 and is showing again at the light and the view so, we are on to another cinema release from yesterday, along with Cobweb, which has been wrapped in controversy and hyperbole, but maybe we won't talk about that. But let's take a listen to the sound of freedom. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. For Homeland Security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. This is my one chance to put those pieces back together. So, Jim Caviezel, or JC for short, stars as Tim Ballard in this, who was the real-life Homeland agent who devoted himself to fighting child sex trafficking in Colombia. Matt and Luke, you are on this one. I will come to you first. Matt, um... Let's not dwell on the controversy around it. Let's look this. This film's made in 2018. I believe it's taken some time to find a, a to, to find an outlet to cinemas anyway. It was released in the States on the 4th of July. Has become a big box office hit here. Is it, do you think, though, too garnered in Americanism to become as big a hit here? Or does it deserve, you know, does it deserve its cinema release? How was it? <laughs> I, the first thing I want to say is I, th I thought this film was awful. But... <laughs> In a way that I found quite funny. So, one-star film, five-star experience. Yeah, I mean, if I can't watch a five-star film, I'd like to watch a four. And if I can't watch a four, I'll give me a three. But if the choice is between a two-star and a one-star, I'll take the one-star all day long. And and this was this was such a one-star film for me. And it's just anchored by this incredible performance from Jim Caviezel, 
who who I've been referring to as JC in honour of his uh, work in The Passion of the Christ. Which was 20 years ago, right? Or almost 20 years ago. So the fact that he still can maybe carry a film is remarkable enough because I don't really know what he's been doing. He I don't know he necessarily carried this. <laughs> <laughs> he was, because obviously he was going to be the next big thing, right, I feel like. And then The Passion of the Christ came out and then maybe everything just kind of turned into a whole sort of, I don't know about how he used to personally work with or whatever, but yeah, it, it seemed to, he's, it's been a long time since we've seen him anything. Wasn't a welcome return. He, he comes across as an absolute maniac, I thought. I mean, for 90% of the movie, he's just got this sort of blank scowl which just looks like slightly terrifying. But then occasionally he smiles and it looks like he's never smiled before and doesn't really know how to do it. And he sort of gets this terrifying grimace. And you just think like, what, what, what exactly is he trying to portray here? Uh, he also does a few oddly intense crying bits throughout the film. Uh, and also at the very, very end in the credits, you'll get a little timer at the bottom of the screen that says countdown to special message, which I thought was very exciting. It's all a special message. And the special message is him again on the, the verge of tears telling you about how heroic everyone is for making this film and how the studio have have kindly allowed you to buy a ticket for someone else because Jim Caviezel doesn't want anyone to not see this film for financial reasons, to which the response is there's plenty of other reasons why people aren't going to go and see this film. But it's good that finances aren't one of them, I suppose. <laughs> like I said, at that point, money did not come fluttering down from the ceiling embossed with Jim Caviezel's face. Uh, Luke, I think you had a... I think, well, I won't say a better time, because I think Matt did have actually secret take at the time, but I think you have a, a, a different take on this. It's a difficult subject matter, and you did say that people walked out of your... Do you think they walked out of your screen because of the difficult subject matter or because of the that, film itself? Well, that is a very good question. And I need to be very careful with what I say here because I don't think Sound of Freedom was a particularly good film. But I want to... Uh, I don't think it was as bad. So don't, <laughs> don't take my rebuttal as a loving uh, love letter to Sound of Freedom. I think this is a, it's a difficult film because beyond... Um, the endorsements and the hangers-on of this film. The actual text of it is quite is somewhat problematic. You have um, some quite stereotyped views of um, certain characters. Both, you know, basically, there's JC as the white savior, <laughs> and then everyone else is the other, and they're either evil or they're innocent little tots who can't do anything wrong. Um, and you have a particularly nasty depiction of a Jewish person at the start of the film which didn't leave me with a great deal of confidence going into it um, but I would say this is a film that's more naive than malicious I think it's a film that has a solid message if you, if, if you can call a message as you know child sex work is bad and <laughs> perhaps we should find a way to stop that um, and what I would say about it is it's, I never really thought about this issue until I saw Sound of Freedom, like I was aware of it but I hadn't put any great thought into it and the film has been criticised by certain groups um, sort of more um, reputable people who deal with this rather than Jim Caviezel who sort of treats <laughs> saving children like Navy Steel Ray so it seems kind of lawless in, in what he's doing and some of these groups have said perhaps this isn't how we should be handling it and I didn't know that this was a debate and I'm glad to have seen the film 
even if the film itself didn't present both sides of the story in that particular way. I think it's very important to point out that the director himself has tried to distance himself from any external groups who may have tried to adopt this as, as, as something for their own, you know, propaganda or beliefs. That's Alejandro Mont Monteverdi. I've seen nothing of his stuff. He's a Mexican director. Is it... Right, I, is it exciting? I would, it, I would actually say it is. I would say that it works as a... Because this is a gripping story, right? This is an important it's, story. It's this a, is a dramatic story. This could be an action-packed story. Is it any of these things? It's a pulpy thriller that has sort of a fun premise. If you try to, if you try very hard not to think about what's actually happening, the actual mechanics of the film is a series of raids or sort of operations <laughs> with uh, Chasey's Tim Ballard of going in and rescuing children. Mechanically, that works as a series of set pieces like there's the the film is sort of split into three separate operations and the middle one is probably the most ambitious and the one that leaves you questioning it the most which is where they sort of build their own hotel for a you know private <laughs> a special people. kind of client yeah, a, spe a special kind of clients and it has a it has a heist vibe and that's where tim ballard and is having a fun time and I bill bill camp who is a Pretty solid. He's having a bit of a renaissance. He's having a really fun time in this. I would say that people on screen are having fun at, <laughs> at parts when they're not proselytizing and, and you know moralizing. I think JC looked like he was taking the whole thing way too seriously. He's just got this kind of dead-eyed zealot look the whole way through. And he, he and with his special message at the end, he thinks he's making this incredible, serious expose of child trafficking when. At best, it's a pulpy, silly thriller. But, but I imagine, like I say, he's overjoyed. And this was completed in 2018, five years ago. And then Disney shelved it and they found Angel Studios who are now backing Alejandro Monteverdi to make another film. I've got one last question because then we'll move on to our final film of the week. But does it have a big enough budget to make it look good? I think, I mean, I think it looks fine. I mean, there's, there's no problems with the sort of nuts and bolts of how it's been made. But it just—I think the dialogue is script. where it script and Jim Caviezel's performance, and just the underlying silliness of the whole thing. As as Luke said, oh, he's the white savior. Yeah. Everyone else is the other. Oh, so it's actually a very low. It's Ten million dollars. I think they're made on. There are there are points where like Homeland Security seems to have two employees, <laughs> but they they spend their reasoning. You know, they jet set around Central America, and I think when you actually get on location. I think it looks fine. Yeah, so they it looks fine. spend the money wisely. Mm. Yeah, okay. I mean, it looks all right for what it is. Right. So there we go. The Sound of Freedom, where we're maybe going to call it, on Matt's case, a one-star film, four-star experience. <laughs> on Luke's case, a two... Two, three, three if you're... Two and a half-star film, <laughs> two and a half-star experience. Um, I will leave it entirely up to you if you go and see that. It is a certificate 15, and it is showing at the light and the view. Can't quite believe it. We've reached our last film of the week. Um, let's head off to a Sandler family shindig. My bat mitzvah determines the rest of my life. Doors would open. And I just think Dua Lipa would make the party perfect. You can have a ball pit. That's for kids. I've had my period for seven months now. That's a long period, sweetheart. La, 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 la. I'm not popular. What is happening? You look insane. Slay queen. I'm not a loser. I look like the lady that pulls kids out of class when their parents get into car accidents. How often does that happen? I might be a little obsessed. 
So that was a little bit of the trailer for You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, which is a sort of Adam Sandler passion project. <laughs> We're talking of passion project, very different kind of a passion project. But this is an Adam Sandler project based on Sammy Cohen's um, sorry, written by Sammy Cohen, but based on Fiona Rosenblum's book, which I presume would be a young adult book. And in this, we are, it's, it, it's a very, very typical coming-of-age story set amongst the affluent Jewish community of Brooklyn, where you have, I think, Brooklyn or L.A., maybe. I couldn't really work it out. Who knows? Anyway, affluent Jewish community where two best friends are planning their bat mitzvahs at the age of 13. One of them is played by Adam Sandler's real-life daughter, Sonny Sandler. His other real-life daughter, Sadie Sandler, is in this. His wife is in it. Adam himself is in it, playing their kind of schlubby father who is just overcome by teenage hormones, maybe, in his house. It's a simple enough story. Um, Stacey and her best friend fall out over a boy, and it is the sort of the, the fallout from that, which is where we're looking at. Matt... I think you and I had a good time with this film. What did you like about it? Oh, I'm just going to say, by the way, Lorcan stopped watching it as soon as he saw Adam Sandler's trainers, by the way, because he was like, I cannot watch another film where Adam Sandler just plays himself. If he's not trying, I'm not trying. If Gary Boosie's not going to bother being in his Boosie family project, we're not having this. Well, the thing with with Adam Sandler movies is, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. He's been very successful. He's been given a big fat contract by Netflix where he gets to go on holiday with his friends and make a movie. And now he's decided to stay home and make a movie with his family. And, you know, good on him. Adam Sandler was was really fun in this, I thought. He's sort of playing this weary troll dad to perfection. It's, it's the standard of fatherhood to which I aspire, definitely. I, I enjoyed this. I, I thought it was a sort of cross between eighth grade and Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, although not as good as either of those. And as I was watching it, I, think, I don't think I'd ever sit through this again when I could just watch one of those instead. But it's a, a good sort of mix of... The, a little bit of the religious stuff about uh, the young daughter's Jewish upbringing, uh, but a lot of sort of funny, zippy, almost fizzy dialogue, uh, some really good musical needle drops. Uh, I especially enjoyed the throwback to the Drive soundtrack because I'm, I'm a huge Ryan Gosling fan before he was even Ken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, there's enough to like to, to get through this. Luke, what about I... Watching this, I, you know, I, I, I do think it, it. I think it's a very sensitive portrayal as well of that difficult age, you know, thirteen. But also, I think it's an enormous amount of pressure that's put on people to have a bat mitzvah at thirteen because, you know, they're like this is a bit it, it, on, for both the, the sense of becoming a, a woman or a man or whatever a bat or bar mitzvah. It's a lot of pressure to have this enormous party at thirteen. My goodness, at thirteen, I was basically just kind of crying and writing in my diary. Luke, what did you think? Yes, I think. It's a bit tiresome, this this premise of, you know, you so many of these films, whether it's a Bat Mitzvah or Sweet 16 or some other teenage party, that sort of sets up this straw man where the kid's like, this is the most important thing ever, and if I don't have the right theme for my Bat Mitzvah, no one's going to like me. And you roll your eyes, because, you know, in 90 minutes' time, she's going to learn that actually what's important is her friends and her family. And... That 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 annoyed me because yeah, but like, she, she's a twelve-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I yeah, thought like they in, did that journey rather. I thought they did the journey rather well, and I think mm. some of that is thanks to Sonny Sandler in particular, who sort of is blessed with this face that looks like her father's, but not like her father. It's resting kind of like you said. He plays grumpy troll dad. She looks a bit sort of grumpy. It, I thought that that I, mix of of chemistry was really I nice. Think between every, them. Everything around the film, other than the premise, was pretty solid. I thought the kids acted. They were surprisingly good when you know when you think it's you know it's a nepo baby film <laughs> with all of the Sandler family. I think they can act. It's not 
he's not put them in the film um, for lack of their acting ability. And he stood back as well, which I quite appreciated. Mm. I think Adam Sandler could have, and, and also he's pair, he, he's married again to Adina Menzel, who Adina Menzel, who I believe plays his wife in Uncut Gems. And I thought they also have an incredibly. I like that he didn't cast his own. He cast his wife as mm. well, I don't know if he did. They cast his wife as the mother of the best friend, mm. and I like the fact. And with also a delightful um, cameo from. He gets an and Louis Guzman, yeah, who was oh, awesome. I anyway. also I also wanted to very quickly point to uh, Sarah Sherman, who plays the <gasps> from rabbi. Saturday Night Live. I think yeah, she's a Saturday Night Live alum, <laughs> and I think she really rescues this film in many ways <laughs> yeah. because she's she's quirky, but she's also the voice of reason, and I think that's crucial for this kind of film. I did she's, enjoy the fact that she was always on her running machine yeah. when she was giving she, talk tips. Rabbi Rebecca was and was a cracker. She's my <laughs> voice in this film, telling them all to take their bar mitzvah seriously mm. um, I think she was had great comic timing I just wish that she was in it more I think this I, I, I think yeah I think it's a perfect Netflix drop I think it's number one at the moment and rightfully so it is it is charming it does it, you know like you say it balances the religion and the coming of age and there is a sincerity to it I can't believe it but we have reached the <laughs> end of this show and we're going to do it on top of the hour as well thank you so much everybody thank you guys thank you Thanks. my pleasure Please come back in a fortnight. Uh -huh. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio.